This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. In our last Squiz Shortcut, we talked about the road that Taylor Swift has taken to the top, setting records across 10 studio albums and world tours. So that's given us a good sense of what she's achieved. And in this part two of our look at Taylor's career so far, we're going to talk about her economic and cultural impact and what it means. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, part one was about the ups and downs and ups again of Taylor Swift's career. Hasn't always been easy, but in the main, it's really a story of striding from success to success. And she's done that probably first and foremost, because she is just very good at what she does. (laughs) Very, very good. Probably a good place for us to start. I mean, Claire, neither you or I are experts in musicality, which is, you know, the nuts and bolts of producing good music. But there are published studies and articles about the technical side of how Taylor plies her trade, and she's good. Yeah, there's plenty of those that you can read. One that you and I have both had a look at is from the faculty of the College of Music at Harvard. They were asked to assess her artistry. Comments like she has a terrific ear in terms of how words fit together kept coming through. In fact, one academic said that they would, and this is the quote, be surprised to discover that her body of songwriting altogether had a larger number of words than any body of comparable hit songs by a comparable songwriter, except for someone maybe like Bob Dylan. Yeah, some pretty high praise. And as a fan, that's something that strikes me how clever she is with her lyrics. I just love it. Yeah, exactly. Those words really do stick with you. And the other thing is her skills in putting together melodies Mm. with the words and that she pens, and this is another quote, easily recognisable chord progressions and rhythmic setups. That sounds highly technical, (laughs) but long story short, she's just a master at writing catchy songs and they really resonate with a wide audience. So the product is good. And as we touched on the last episode, she's built a huge, huge fan base. And that doesn't happen automatically. There are smarts in the way that she's done that as well. Yeah. And from that same Harvard article with those music experts, they put that down to strong social and emotional bonds that people feel with her. She's built that by addressing pretty much where she is in Mm. her life via her songs Uh, and in that way that we know or at least feel like we know where she's at in life. Whether that's a relationship breakup or hanging with a girl squad or blow-ups with celebrities, there's always a connection back to her identity and that then feeds the fans' connections to her. Yeah, she's been a master of that. We talked in the last episode about how she's used social media to foster that connection, but there's some broader macro trends really, to be aware of. There's some demographics to be aware of when it comes to the scale of how that fandom actually converts into financial and cultural success. Taylor's fandom crosses generations, but many of her rusted-on fans have grown up with her over the last couple of decades. Yeah, and this is part of a broader look at Taylor's generation, which is millennials. Millennials, of course, are born between 1980 and 2000. They're aged between 23 and 43. I'm one hands up for me. They are the biggest generation in American history, even bigger than the baby boomer generation. So with those numbers comes a lot of sway. 
Yeah, it sure does. And just by the sheer weight of those numbers, what that generation is into has a huge impact on the economy and culture. But Taylor is also huge with Gen Z, Gen Z, as we would say in Australia. Yeah, mid-90s to 2010s. Yeah, exactly right. That happened during the pandemic. There was a lot of TikTok content mm. about her. She was also putting out albums during COVID when many weren't. So a new generation discovered her. And her music during that time really resonated across the generations. What she was singing about hit the right chord, the, the, the music pun, because <laughs> many people were having similar experiences in their lives, love, relationships, friendships. Yeah, exactly. And for those who weren't walking hand in hand with her through those experiences, what the academics say is there's another facet to all of this, that she's aspirational, um, that she's a role model, but also engaging with her fans about the things she cares about. So she's really someone who is seen as sticking to her values. And because she's been so successful, she's also essentially showing her fan base that they can reach their goals, whatever those might be. Claire, one of the clearest examples of values that you're talking about melded with achievement is how she claimed ownership of her work. Yeah, and that's a factor in why those re-releases of Taylor's version albums have been successful Every single time she's done it, her fans are very happy to celebrate her triumph over adversity. And that's really quite inspiring to a lot of young people. Actually, it's inspiring to older people too, (laughs) by the way. Yeah, I was going to say across those generations there again, obviously, because we can't exclude your Gen X. You're, You're Gen X, aren't you, Claire? Yeah, exactly right. So we've covered off now how Taylor's music connects with her audience, who it connects with. Up next, we're going to look at how that plays out in the music market and how it plays out financially because there's some big bucks involved. Let's start with some numbers about the scale of Taylor's music industry achievements and her audience before we dive into the money. I'm going to list off a couple of big stats here, Claire. She's the first and only woman solo artist to win Album of the Year at the Grammys three times. That was for Fearless in 2009, 1989 in 2015 and Folklore in 2020. And each of those albums was in a different musical genre. She's achieved 12 number one albums on Billboard. It's the most by a woman artist ever. She overtook Barbara Streisand to claim that title earlier this year. In August, she became the first female artist in Spotify history to reach 100 million monthly listeners. And then just this week, she broke another record. She became the first songwriter to score seven nominations for Song of the Year at the Grammys, breaking a record that Lionel Richie and Paul McCartney had tied for. So, you know, it's a lot. She's done a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. And keep in mind, she's 33 years old. She'll Mm. turn 34 in December. And according to Bloomberg, her total net worth is 1.1 billion US dollars, (laughs) making her one of the few musicians to become a billionaire off her musical talents alone. But of course, her business model is a lot more than just writing great songs, recording great albums and putting on great concerts. Yeah, it really is. And I like this quote from that Bloomberg analysis we've been talking about. It says, taken together, Swift Inc. is essentially a multinational conglomerate with the world's most devoted customer base, its most charismatic CEO and significant economic power. Yeah. And one business analyst took that idea further, saying that she really is a quintessential entrepreneur, that she has great ideas, she's able to scale her ideas and seems to be pretty risk-seeking. We mentioned in part one that having parents who were well-equipped to deal with her 
her turning into a star certainly helped, particularly her dad who had a background in finance. Yeah, that's her father, Scott. He was a long-time Merrill employee. They're a wealth management and investment broker. He is the registered investment advisor to the Swift Group that's headquartered in the family's hometown of Wyomissing in Pennsylvania. He's linked to 10 companies that are affiliated with his daughter, including the merchandising and rights management businesses and entities that own her tour bus, her two private jets and her real estate portfolio. Yeah, imagine having two private jets, (laughs) one (laughs) private jet, but anyway. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And look, we won't unpick all of that, but it's just to note that so many stars come a cropper with their management team. And for Taylor, she has someone that she trusts running the all-important money side of the business. Yeah, it's a huge advantage. So she's said to be worth 1.1 billion US dollars. We're just going to go through how that breaks down. At the top of the tree is the value of the music that she's released since 2019. That's around 400 million bucks. Yeah, and isn't that incredible that when you Mm. see how her owning her own music has been a thing, um, re-releasing those Taylor's versions of her first album has also bolstered all of that. Not far behind that is what she's earning from ticket sales from touring and also merchandise. That's $370 million that she's made from that. And just on that number, that's a conservative estimate because the era's tour, which she's currently doing, it's massive. It's only just done the American leg, so it's still got to do – I think she's over in Argentina at the moment. She's going to come out to Australia. She'll do Canada. Lots more to come. It's expected to be the first tour to rake in more than a billion dollars. Yeah, just extraordinary. And Mm. not just for her and her personal wealth. These big events benefit the broader economy. There's one study that looked at the first 53 US concerts this year. They say that it added $4.3 billion to the country's gross domestic product. (laughs) Um, Beyonce's also had a massive renaissance tour, which has been doing incredible numbers as well. So between these two women, they've really been responsible for significant economic contributions in the United States this year. Go the girls. It's a lot of money. Next up, we've also got streaming earnings from Spotify and YouTube. That adds up to around $200 million worth. Yep. Again, it works harder for you when you own your own music. Rounding it out, of course, is her personal property holdings. She's got five properties valued at around $110 million, homes in Tennessee, California, New York City and Rhode Island. Yeah, she's done very well with those. And Larissa, before we end up, there's one story I quite enjoy about how financially savvy Taylor and her team are. has to do with FTX, which is the cryptocurrency trading platform that was getting a lot of celebrities to endorse their product. Uh, When they asked Taylor to come on board as one of those ambassadors, she pretty quickly figured out and her team figured out that what they were selling wasn't exactly above board. Yeah, and other celebrities really didn't do that level of due diligence. When FTX collapsed, they were caught up in that and many of them, including people like football icon Tom Brady, they're now being sued. Yeah, so she got a lot of credit, not just with her fans, but also with the financial markets (laughs) that they were savvy enough to avoid that. She's one savvy lady. That is is part two of your shortcut on the business of Taylor Swift. Now, as always, on to our recommendations. Each episode, we give you some further reading, listening and watching. There's a lot 
in all of that that we could suggest. For me, I reckon putting a link to the Bloomberg article that we've talked about, Unpacking Her Wealth, it's a great read for anyone wanting to go a bit deeper into it. Yeah, exactly. This business of Taylor Mm. Swift is a very interesting thing to have a look at. Um, For me, it's been a while since I watched it, but the Netflix doco Miss Americana from 2020 is about a key transitional time in her career. You can see her talking to her father and talking to her mother and her management about where she is in her sort of developing persona uh, and the point of time that she was at that point. Um, You get to know her and her process a bit better. It's a good one to watch. Yeah, I loved that one. Uh, We will put links to both of these in your episode notes. Like you say, Claire, we could probably put a million resources, but we'll leave just those two. If you have liked this shortcut, please tell people about the Shortcuts podcast. Leave us a review. If you have any requests for a topic you want us to delve into, send it through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.